You're listening to the Felony Inc. Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Inc. Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. The Felony Inc. Podcast airs live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Now please settle in, enjoy. It's time for the Felony Inc. Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Felony Inc. Podcast live from downtown Portland, Oregon. Rip City. And, and brought to you by Startup Radio Network. I'm Lad Justison, and each week we interview formerly incarcerated men and women who have turned their lives around and started successful businesses. The occasional host of our program is Dave Dahl of Dave's Killer Bread. And he was able to turn his life around and make the best bread in the world. His turnaround story has inspired many, and we hope that today's guest will do the same. But before I get to our guest, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Mark Gailey. He's the owner of Motor Eek Tattoo Parlor right here in downtown Portland, and a fine example of a formerly incarcerated knucklehead that was able to turn his life around. And Mark, around. And the, around. What the hell's going on, Mark? You all right? Um, yeah. I'm doing really good. So, every time we get on the show, it's like a different girlfriend. So, what's up in that area in your life, Mark? You, are you still got one? You got nine? What's going on? Uh, I'm just single right now. I'm just kind of doing my thing, <laughs> since you got to know. But, um, no, no girlfriends. No girlfriend? No. Get on the mic, Mark. I'm busy. No. <laughs> um, I don't know why my social life is so... Uh, so out of whack? I don't know. How, what, what is, no, I get it, though. <clears throat> um, yeah. I am a knucklehead. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Um, you know what? We got a really cool Let's guest. Let's talk about your social today. life. <laughs> you want to hear my social yes. life? Yes. Oh, man. I, I have one of the best uh, partners, girl... Beautiful. Congratulations. Oh, my gosh. It's just uh, a life-changing event right now. Is right. that good? Is that yeah, all you that, wanted to know? Well, yeah. I mean... What else do you want to know? You want to know some of the intimacies? Is that what you're getting at, Mark? No. Yeah, you're not going to hear it. No. Not here I've seen her on Pornhub already. <laughs> That's not nice. Uh, does she know about him? Oh. <laughs> All right. That's enough. I thought I'd get a little bit better stuff out of you, Mark, but apparently not. Okay, so look, let's just move on to our guest. I'm sure she's going to be a hell of a lot more interesting than you, Mark. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for stealing my shit. So our guest today is uh, Teresa Hodge. We talked to her a little bit before we got on air. She sounds really super interesting. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her project, her little business. It's called Mission Launch. Is that right, Teresa? Uh, yes. Well, both. Um, well, first, hello, Mark and Lad. So happy to um, join the podcast with both of you today. And um, looking forward to talk about, yes, the nonprofit that I started, Mission Launch, but also interested in sharing more about R3 Score, which is a tech company that I just recently launched. Well, let's get into it. But before we get into the business end of it, you know, we always like to kind of go back to, yeah. uh, you know, 
the things that caused, uh, obviously, you know, our program is centered around formerly incarcerated people. You've been there. You've done that. Can we? Mm-hmm. Can you take us back a little bit to where you know all this began? You know, why yeah. did why did you end up in in there? And you know, what were the leading facts coming up to to your incarceration? Sure. Um, first of all, yes, I um, served a seventy month federal prison sentence. Um, started that prison sentence in two thousand and seven, and served three years of probation did six months of halfway house, um, all of that. So I feel like I did the full gamut of um, engaging with the criminal justice system. But what led me to prison, um, I it was a business that I had co-founded. And um, the business was a business around financial literacy and um, really targeting um, the African-American community. Um, the, an interesting turn of events happened for um, us. Um, and this was back in 2001, so a pretty long time ago, almost 20 years ago. Um, but one of our employees at the time who we were transitioning our business, and um, as we were letting him go, he became extremely angry at our decision that we could no longer afford to pay him. And he went and presented some information to the government about um, us and our company and painted us in a very bad light and said that he thought we were getting ready to take advantage of people and some other stuff. And as a result of that, I spent the next five years um, fighting um, what started off as a Maryland state case. Um, I had a slight victory in that case. I thought everything would go away, but I spent the next several years fighting a federal case. Um, my case was repackaged, um, and new charges were brought um, under um, mail fraud, a very broader umbrella. I went to trial, uh, lost, and originally was given an 87-month federal prison sentence. That's seven years and three months. Um, one part of an appeal almost got the conviction overturned, wasn't successful with that, but was able to get the sentence reduced to 70 months. And that was about halfway through the sentence. And so it felt like such a huge victory, to be honest, because I had already served half the time and I felt like I could do the rest of the time. Um, So that's kind of like my journey that took me to prison. But what I can tell you is I entered prison very afraid um, I always tell people that, you know, Orange is the New Black had not come out. So television had informed, you know, my experience or thoughts around who goes to prison. And I just felt like I was going to go in prison with people who were very different from me. And um, that was just really scary. In the end, I went to prison and met some of the most incredible women that I've ever met in all days of my life and um, just really committed to spending the rest of my life um, giving voice to what I had witnessed, what I had experienced, and then also really interested in creating opportunities for men and women um, post-incarceration. So when, uh, what year did you get out? Are you there, Teresa? Yes, I am. Okay, what, what year did you get out of prison? I- I got out of prison in uh, – I left uh, Alderson Federal Prison Camp in 2011, and then it was 2012 that I was officially off of um, the Federal Bureau of Prison. Wow. 
supervision. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment, man. So this guy, disgruntled employee, boy, he caused a lot of problems for you. He did, but you know, I, 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 I people always tell me that I'm kind of optimistic. And, you know, I just believed, you know, I mean, one, it was a very painful and disruptive process, but I today cannot imagine doing anything different than what I'm doing today, you know. And so it definitely was not a gift, but, you know, somehow you, my father always say you just, sometimes you have to turn um, lemons into lemonade. And I just feel like I have done the best that I could to turn what could have been a very, um, a situation that could have ruined my life for the rest of my life. Um, I was able to kind of turn it around. And today I love the work that I'm doing. I love the people um, that I get to represent and um, give voice to our collective experiences. So, you know, I always like to look at the fact that, you know, you know, especially people who are out there running their own business and they're really not, you know, in your case, you know, they found some things on you that, of course, put you in prison. But you're living a pretty normal life out there. You got a business going. You're doing your things. If you, if somebody would have asked you way back then what you thought about incarcerated people, it would have been a whole, whole lot different than what Absolutely. you experienced when you went in there. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the people you met in there and the influence that they had on you to change your attitude towards, you know, people who are incarcerated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I will start with, um, I was fortunate enough to self-surrender to prison. And for folks who don't understand that, it means that a judge gave me a prison sentence of 87 months. And then I was also given a couple of months to get affairs in order and to drive myself to prison, kind of like folks drive themselves to college. A really weird experience. Um, <laughs> how, how much was your um, parking ticket when you got out? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily for me, I um, had a car full of uh, supporters that took me, my mom and my sisters and my daughter. Um, but while I was in the parking lot, there was another woman going through the same exact thing. And she had a car full of family members dropping her off. And it was really easy to spot her because she was the one shaking like we both were shaking like leaves in the parking lot. Like, you know, we're getting ready to say goodbye to our loved ones and, you know, enter the unknown. And she was the first person that I met. And instantly we became friends. We're friends to this day. And nice. she nice. she was just an upstanding. She was she was a great person. She was a former principal. Um, and, you know, had her own set of circumstances that led her to prison. But in that moment, we just became um, friends. What I say about prison is it was almost like it was it's the great equalizer that when you get to prison, you know, and I went to a prison camp. So, you know, I don't want to paint prison with the same brush because I'm sure you guys know that it's not. And so everybody's prison experience is different, and sometimes it's different based upon the type of prison you go, whether it's federal or state, or what is the designation, whether it's a camp or a penitentiary. So, you know, there is the gamut. I was fortunate enough to go to a camp, um, and as a result of that, I there was greater freedom to kind of walk and move around. Um, it was people um, who had um, shorter sentences. Or they had worked their way down um, from a 20-year sentence down to like the last three or four years. And they were getting prepared 
um, and there was a little bit more freedom. But I just met a lot of great women. I always tell people I was in prison with politicians and prostitutes. I was in, you know, and, and it's the absolute truth. I was in prison with women who were corporate executives as well as women who, you know, did not have a GED and were having, um, edu- you know, issues in terms of even getting the GED. But in the end, I felt like we were all the same. Everybody just wanted to go home. They wanted to regain their life as defined by them. They wanted to live, be productive, take care of their families. And that was it. You know, I and that's why I say it's the great equalizer, because nowhere else will people from various socioeconomic status, um, cultures, ethnicities kind of converge in one place and have to kind of live life. Right. In a community. <laughs> you know, Mark, Mark is a political prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I've often said that about Mark. Poor often. Mark. <laughs> Mark, Hi. Mark does, you know, it's funny because, you know, me and uh, my friend Dave Dahl, who's uh, you know, the original host of this program, we have uh, banter. And, and, you know, the banter uh, pretty much originated from, you know, prison humor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we can't say some of the stuff we'd like to say on, on radio. I mean, we can say whatever we want to, but Mark is a little different. We can say fuck. We, uh, we can say that. <laughs> but fuck. Mark is a little different because, you know, I'll throw a slam at Mark where Dave would have something really cool to come back. And Mark will look at me like a deer, you know, in <laughs> What did you just say? Anyway, so look, uh, on the dartboard. we're going to take a break, and you know what? We'll be back in just a moment. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future future of your business. You know what, Mark? I'm wondering, why doesn't your tattoo shop, Murder Inc., you know, why don't we have a commercial for you? What's going on? That's a good idea. What's up? What's up, Alon? What's the process in that? Money. Money. Lots of money. Okay. Well, since it's your idea, you pay for it, and that'd be awesome. Wow. I like it. Okay, so we're never going to mention Murder, Inc. again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, back to our our guest today, Teresa Hodge. All right, so we left off where you met um, a variety of different people, um, incarcerated people at the time, and they had great influence on you, and they kind of changed your mindset, um, of course, about people being in there and that, that's the way it is out here you know a lot of people um kind of demonize and they don't really know that these people are just people 
And so your mind was changed. And so that was the basis of your business now. So can you tell us a little bit how that started and uh, how it's how it's gone from there? Sure. So the concept of Mission Launch, which was the first business that I started when I was when I came out of prison, um, started while I was in prison. And, you know, at a camp, one of the things that happens is people leave prison and some of the same people come back to prison often within the same year. And I watched that happen over and over again and then started having conversations with some of the women who had left, women who I know had great vision for their lives. And I watched them come back and I just started asking the question, why, what's going on? You know, and I have to stop for just a second and acknowledge that I never felt like I was a privileged person until I went to prison. And it was after I got to prison that I recognized that the privilege of having a family and support system um, that never failed me in my life, including while I was in prison, and the ability to continue through the educational system, you know, was wasn't commonplace for everybody. No, and not so, at all. Not yeah, at all. and so when it was in those stories that I was hearing that. They didn't have family to come back to. They didn't have the proper support network. They were unable to um, find a job, to be seen as who they were in this moment um, versus, you know, the mistake that they made. And I just heard the same thing over and over and over again. You couldn't find a job. Well, what became very apparent was if you can't get a job, you can't get on your feet. And so for me, as a person who had been an entrepreneur, I thought, well, maybe entrepreneurship is something that um, should be really considered for um, men and women who have arrest or conviction records. And it might just be easier to figure out how to clean enough houses if that's your skill set um, and turn that into a business if no one will hire you or, you know, if it's catering or whatever it is that's your talent, how can we wrap that around um, you as a solopreneur and get you out there earning enough money to take care of you and your family? And so the thought of business development and entrepreneurship um, was just a natural extension from who I was prior to incarceration. And I just started thinking about that. And when I came home, my daughter and I um, launched Mission Launch. She's the executive director of the organization. Um, and we are just really committed to helping men and women um, use entrepreneurship as a means to get on their feet if they cannot find a job. And or if they have the ability, you know, the talent, the skill sets, the stamina for entrepreneurship, because that's hard, too. Well, you know, I'd like to go back just a little bit. You know, there's one thing, you know, when I worked uh, with Dave Dahl of Dave's Killer Bread at the bakery, mm -hmm. you know, we would have somebody come to the bakery who was formerly incarcerated because Dave hired uh, approximately 30 percent mm -hmm. of his workforce was formerly incarcerated. And because it was because Dave, you know, said, hey, look, if I can do this, anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't hiring somebody just because they were an ex-felon. It was hiring somebody who had the skills. Who exactly. had you know? Who had a good track record before that, and mm -hmm. you know as well as as um, we did at the bakery, that it really starts while they're in prison. 
it Absolutely. doesn't. There's no magic line there when they get out of prison. You know what they're doing in prison is going to be what they're doing when they get out. So it all starts going back. And what what did you see back in the federal prison system that gave you know the women in there the opportunity to change and get a skill while they were in there? Mm-hmm. Well. At the facility that I was at, there was um, some trades um, offering, you know, plumbing, electrical. Um, there was also a cosmetology um, program. But I think the thing that I saw the most was just the resiliency. Like, you, you could just hear it, feel it, and sense it, that people really just wanted. that, Like, they were committed to a better life that we all recognize that living in prison, someone controlling your movement, what you eat, what time the lights go off, come up, what time your bed has to be made, all of that stuff was just no way that folks really wanted to live. The other thing is at a federal prison, um, everybody has to work. I saw discipline. I saw people who were getting up every day working in the facility. Like, let us not forget that prisons operate off of the inmate population actually doing the work. That's and true. So, <laughs> so, so true. we were the chefs, we were the janitors, we were the mechanics, we were everything on that compound except the guards. And so what I saw was discipline of work. You know, everybody was working. And so if you can work in a prison facility and you can work there for four cents an hour, 12 cents, 20 some odd cents, 40 cents, you certainly can come home and work. And that's what I saw was like there was no difference. It was just, you know, People were severely underpaid for that work, (laughs) but they were doing work that was marketable skills on the outside. Did everybody in there work? Did did everybody have to work or were there people in there that just, because I know in the prison system that me and Mark was in, you know, there were people that came in there. They had a, a set sentence, and they didn't care one way or the other. They just did their time and got out. They didn't have, they didn't learn any new skills. They didn't, you know, they didn't try to work. They just did their time and Yard got bums. out. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, now, I would have to ask, did you guys go to federal or state prison? State prison, Oregon. Oh, okay. So there, there's the difference. In federal prison, you have to work. Everybody has to work. And so the people who did not work at the facility that I was at, it was because they were, you know, incapable. You know, they might have had a physical limitation or something like that. But everybody worked. Yeah, we had that law now. They're supposed to work. Yeah. Measure 32 or something. Right. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, this is what they do. They say, oh, well, we don't have enough jobs for everybody. So. Right. <clears throat> well, they managed to find enough jobs. <laughs> <laughs> for all of us so you know so when you walk when you're watching people work and they're doing things again that exist on the outside if you can work inside of a prison you certainly should be able to work outside of one so that is that part of your you know what you do is when you know because i know when i got out of prison i i didn't really want to tell people i was in prison but mm-hmm. I worked the whole time that I was in prison, pretty much, except for a couple of years at the beginning. But mm-hmm. I was afraid to tell anybody, you know, I had a job while I was in prison, here's what I did. But I didn't want mm-hmm. anybody to know I was in prison. So how do you get around that? How, how do you navigate that? Mm-hmm. Are you asking me how did I personally navigate it or how do people in general? Well, okay, so I watched this little video that, um, on your website, mm-hmm. and it's talking about a score rating. Right. You know, um, about 
So, where, you know, maybe you can explain where that score rating comes from, and does it come yep. from, you know, their previous work in prison, you know? All right. So, I mean, if I take a step back, when it, when it comes to, came to me, I made a decision that I wasn't going to hide my prison experience. I felt like I had enough good skill sets, and quite frankly, I understood how the Internet worked, and the Internet wasn't going to hide it. You know, so if anyone Googled me, eventually they were going to find out. And I just wanted to get ahead of it and just deal with it always up front. And, you know, and that's just personally for me how I addressed it and dealt with it. Um, I think it's like eight out of 10 employers run a criminal background check. So there's no getting around it for the most part when it comes to like 80 percent of jobs that are out there. Right. What we have found is that when employers or any type of decision maker um, runs a criminal background check, the only thing that they find out is that there is a criminal history. And often when they find that information out, they just don't know what to do with it. And as a result of it, they it's easier to say no than to try to figure out the next step. Um, should we hire them? Are they risky? Are they not risky, etc.? And so for us, we created um, R3 score, which R3 score is a separate from Mission Launch. It's our, my, our for-profits uh, tech startup. And R3 score is designed to de-risk the individual who has an arrest or conviction record. It's a three-in-one report. And we bring in the criminal record. We bring in, um, if necessary, when we're dealing with banks, we, we bring in a credit score. But then we also provide a unique score known as the R3 score. And that R3 score is similar to a credit score. It's between 300 to 850, just like a FICO-ish score. Um, And it takes a lot of things into consideration because, let's be honest, we're more than our criminal history, you know. And yes, we can rate a criminal history, but if you really want to know if I'm qualified for a job or qualified for a loan or suitable to work in or to live in your apartment or – I'm okay to come to your university. You got to have more information than did I go to prison or if I have a criminal record. So the score takes into consideration um, public safety, you know, criminal history. But then it goes into who are you? Like, who were you before prison, during prison, after prison? You know, do you have military history, work history? What kind of experiences do you have? And just some other behavioral trending type uh, information that just demonstrates that, you know, you've navigated away from criminal activity and you're serious about getting your life on track. This is certainly not a scoring system for anyone who, you know, is committed to a life of crime. You know, like the score won't do you any justice. You know, period. It just won't. This is for those of us who we've been to prison and it's like, now what? We, we're we committed to being productive. We want to contribute uh, to society, to our families, to our communities. And we need another metric um, to be evaluated. Okay, so how how do you get employers to recognize that score? So, I mean, you know, they hand in the application, and within that application is your guys, you know. There's your, the R3 score. Yeah, you know, right. there's your R3 score. And they're like, wow, what's they're that? They're like, what is that, you know? Yeah. Is, is it yeah. known? People are saying, what is that? You're right. And it's, it's not known, but we do have some inbound interest. I uh, listened to the podcast with... Um, 70 million jobs. And so, you know, there, there is a worker shortage. There's, you know, there's certain industries where they actually need people. 
and all they're looking for is can you help us vet some of these folks so it's we we are new it's a new tool um we're just getting started we have um a couple of employers who are using it who's testing it and you know we're hoping to pick up more but also um we're really excited that we have um some bankers who are interested in using this score um as a way to vet folks who have um come home and have demonstrated some level of stability but still have a criminal history and so that they could use it as a supplementary tool in their underwriting process well what about you know like uh like those uh you know job search places you know or even you know here in oregon they have, you know, through uh, unemployment office, they have those, you know, types of programs where, you know, you put, they help you with your resume and all that stuff. Have, have you approached any of those places in order to get the R3 score into those? That's probably part, that's part of our 2020 um, activities. Um, we are just now in that real, we just got out of that um, scrappy startup mode and we went through our first tech accelerator um, last the end of last year, graduated from that program in January. We are, have our fingers crossed that we're going to be notified in the next two weeks about a more uh, national global um, tech accelerator that will really help to push R3 score further in the marketplace. So again, with R3 score, we're just getting started. We have, you know, we're doing, some, we're running pilots right now, and we have some employers as well as some banks that are using the score. And by 2020, we're anticipating that we'll have the data that will allow it to be more um, widely used. So, with you know, with the market, the job market up so so high right now, do you guys actually go back into prisons and evaluate people in there even before they get out? No, we don't do that. Um, it's in the thought process a little bit further, but for right now, our greatest traction is helping people who have come home from prison and who have figured out a little bit how to get some traction on getting their life back on track. And what they need is another tool other than the criminal background screening um, report to serve as a third-party validator of who they are. So what you know of Mark so far? Where would you rate him on that scale? <laughs> what's my R three What's my R three score? <laughs> Mark, so it, I said it's between three fifty and eight hundred. You have to be an eight hundred because you're just like um, an amazing guy. Thank you. <laughs> Lad needs to recognize. His, Lad's I'm probably. Not, I'm not falling for that. Trick, Lad's Lad. probably a, a two oh three or some. He's had a few hits on his. Uh, Convict credit. <laughs> See, you know, here's the thing. You know, when when my friend Dave Dahl's on the on the uh, program, everybody wants to suck up to him because he's the host and the creator of Dave's Killer Bread. And now it's reversed. Everybody's sucking up to the co-host. That's me. I ain't going for it. <laughs> Get used to well, it, you buddy. know what? Every everybody loves the underdog. You know, yes. and, and here's the thing: when you start off, you know, Mark. Ends up start. You started off the show with Mark being the underdog. So right. you know, now look who's on top. <laughs> Backfire. Under, <laughs> underdog. <laughs> I have to get that tattooed on me now. Underdog with horns. Underdog with horns. All right. So um, let's go back a little bit again. And um, can you tell us? You know, because people are listening. 
And they want to know how these particular things are originated, how you get them funded, how, you know, how all that stuff. And they can, you know, someone sitting there right now going, you know what, I got kind of an idea like Teresa has. Mm -hmm. How do I get it started? Where do I get the funding and where does it go from there? Yeah, well, you know what? Most startup um, companies and entrepreneurs and co-founders will tell you that you're starting with your own money. You know, period. You're starting with your own money. You're starting with whoever you know that you can convince to take this journey with you. Um, when I was an entrepreneur prior to incarceration, I was working a full-time job, had an idea, and I had to fund it from the full-time job. You know, so you have to become extremely resourceful. I wish I could tell folks like they, there is a place that you can go where they're giving out ten grand or 50000 It. You know, I don't know of that place. What I will tell you is that if you really just write out your vision and get it down to something concrete, there are some places within your community, um, most uh, definitely at a state level, but certainly most communities have pitch competitions for startups. And so that's a good place to go and present your idea, usually within a three to seven minute. And if it's good enough, then sometimes you can be awarded twenty five hundred, five thousand, up to like fifty thousand dollars. You know, now they don't have those every week, but they do exist. And you know, it's hard. I mean, I we were a scrappy startup for the first year. I funded from just my own work um, that I was doing, and then after that, I was able to um, attract a couple of fellowships. I got in, got a couple of grants from um, organizations that wanted to see a tool like this come to market and who invested, you know, by way of a grant, $50,000. I just recently completed um, an accelerator that gave us a hundred thousand dollars for conscious venture. It was conscious venture labs, which by the way, they are good friends with Dave and, you know, talk about Dave killer bread all the time. And so, you know, it's that you just, when you're an entrepreneur and when you have a vision that keeps you up at night, it's kind of crazy, but you find a way, you know, you, and that's the sign that you have a really good business and that you're fully committed. And sometimes if you're fortunate enough and people see that level of commitment and drive, you'll find somebody who will invest, you know, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, or up to the hundreds of thousands of dollars in your business. You know, speaking of signs, um, when Mark was starting up his tattoo business, he actually um, held a sign on the side of the road saying, <laughs> starting up tattoo business, and uh, it worked. He's, he's got a really successful <laughs> tattoo shop downtown. Mm. Right, Mark? Yeah. There's that deer. There's a little sign. There's that deer Anything in the headlights look again. Anything helps, God bless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark. Dunk, dunk. I just got ran over. We got a, hey, Teresa, we got our sound guy, all, his name, Alon Beaujolais. I say it right, and he's just impressed every Ajlan. time I say it. Not really, it's Beaujolais. 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 Right. Alon Beaujolais. You got to say it with a deep voice, right? We. 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 But anyway, what do you got to say about Mark holding that sign? <laughs> you seen him. I was, I, I was the guy who just ran him over, actually. Dunk, dunk. I know. I tried to hit him as I drove by. I'm getting by beat too. up today. <laughs> I'm going to be better prepared next week. I, I drove past him and he keyed my car. 
<laughs> I'm throwing a rock at it as soon as we get out of here. <laughs> All right, so you know what? We're going to take another break. And all on, hit it, baby. We'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you and you get $150 credit. Wow, $150 marked out. That would really go a long ways for your business, right? Mm, yeah. How much did you make on the side of the road? How much do you think those guys make on the side of the road here in Portland, Oregon, holding up a sign that says, I, I actually like the ones that are a little bit more honest. I've seen one that says, I just want a beer. And I think that guy got a lot of money. Yeah, and that's cool. I appreciate that, too. I remember one time uh, I was in Eugene, and this guy had been on this corner for, for weeks and weeks. Uh, so I pulled up, and I tried to give him a bunch of hamburgers. I went through the drive-thru and just spent, like, 40 bucks on every, you know, got a, like, I just started ordering stuff. And I went to hand it to him, and he was, looked at me like I was, he was a deer caught in headlights. He's like, I go, well, you don't even want the food, do you? I, I go, I was going to have you come mow my lawn. <laughs> the guy looked at me all crap. I go, how much do you make? Well, about me and my buddy when we team up make about four to six hundred bucks a day, and that's this was years ago. So, all on. I used to play sitar on the streets, and I would do pretty good. But I was actually doing something, right? You, you know what I mean? Uh, wow. And these guys just stand with a sign, and, and they're I, you know, I would be telling. I think me and you should go out there, rub some dirt on our face, and just do a little test, see how much money we can make. I don't think you'd need to rub any dirt on your face, Mark. You already kind of look like a. Well, <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. Let's do it. It's, it's gotta, a social experiment. Teresa, you ought to see Mark. He's we got to sleep in a tent. He's a 50-some-odd-year-old <laughs> man with a, with a spiked hairdo and a mohawk and, sight, you know, <laughs> tattoos up to his neck. I'm never going to grow up. He's never going <laughs> to grow up. I tried, thought about it once. <laughs> I was like, well, nope. I guess I just can't grow up. Peter, Peter Pan syndrome. Right. Yeah. Hey, you know why Peter Pan's green? Why? You'd be green, too, if someone hit you in a Peter with a pan. <laughs> oh. Now you got me with deer in the headlight. All right. So back to our guest, Teresa Hodge. So, Teresa, um, you, you, you know, you kinda work, you're working hard on this business. And so where's it at right now? How's That's one thing I got to say. You have to work hard. Yeah. It's you all can't about just, working like, hard. have an idea. You got to work. So Absolutely. Where are you at right yeah. now, and where would you like to be? Where I'm at right now, uh, I, where we are, we're at a good place. We're doing um, beta testing with um, banks. We're doing beta testing with folks with records. We're fine-tuning our algorithm, and we're getting really excited. We be- so we're in this phase that we're calling like the soft launch, where we're working with folks. We're getting um, everything geared up, and we're anticipating doing a really large launch where we will be able to engage what we hope will be hundreds of thousands of folks who are living with criminal histories, and we'll be able to engage national banks, employers, um, in starting in 2020 in a more significant way. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, um, it's I gonna think be, so It's going to be, uh, you know, an everyday word. Uh, all of my R3 yeah. score. 
But, you know, the thing is, Teresa, you know, right now, the like I was saying earlier, the job market is so high. You know, people are literally out there, you know, you know, trying to get people to come work for them. And yep. you're giving them a tool to kind of, you know, when they're, if at all, afraid of hiring, mm-hmm. you know, someone who is formerly mm-hmm. incarcerated, you're giving them the tools at least to look a little bit further into each one of these people's, you know, possibility exactly. working for them. I think it's great. Uh, I think, I mean, it's just, uh, um, where are you guys at? When, are you saying where are we located physically yeah. or you're yeah. like, we well, are in. Yeah. Where do you, where is your <laughs> program being, you know, being used at Implement. right now? Yeah. We are, um, I currently. Careful. He's an extreme Maryland. kidnapper. Yeah. <laughs> I currently live in Baltimore, Maryland. I we uh, chose to make Baltimore um, our launch um, the place. Wire. I was living, I was living outside of yeah. The <laughs> yeah. Wire. I watched that show it, it in needs prison. To become known for the Wire and our score. You know, it can't just be the Wire. <laughs> that <laughs> but, show was. You know, Baltimore is the leads Maryland in terms of its incarceration, and so if the problem resides deeply here, we wanted to bring the solution here as well. And um, so the Washington, D.C. area um, and Baltimore is where we have been piloting because it's technology. Quite frankly, we could be anywhere. We could be in Oregon with you guys. We can be in L.A. It's technology. And um, and we are looking to expand um, strategically over the next year. So. That's where we're physically located, and again, we're working with local bankers in this area and some local employers. Well, I mean, this is just an amazing program. I I think about it, you know, when I got out, Mark got out, you know, Dave got out. Um, we were fortunate enough to, to find jobs, you know. It was yeah. hard. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. But now, with uh, the tools that you're presenting... I mean, how much easier is that is that going to be, and how much more confident uh, these people are going to be that they're going to get a job? And you know, and uh, once once they start hearing about this your program before they get out, um, they're obviously you're going to you know be overwhelmed with people. And uh, mm-hmm. up to this point in time, how many how many people have uh, you helped get jobs? We have scored, well, I personally have helped folks even before our three score, whether it was through entrepreneurship and um, whether it was through um, just me personally mentoring um, folks who I've engaged with. But from the R3 score perspective, we have scored um, about 100 folks. Um, Again, we are still in that incubator development, last fine tuning um, spot. So we have, you know, we don't have numbers um, to really speak of just yet. But so, by the end of the year, we're anticipating that we will would have engaged 1,000 folks with records um, around this tool. And then our next goal is 10,000. And at the point when we go from 1,000 to 10,000, um, we're tuning up at that point so that we can really, you know, meet the masses. And because it's a software as a service, it's an online tool. People will just be able to go to our website, request an R3 score when they come home from prison or if they've been home five years from prison and they're still struggling and and or they just need someone to, you know, be able to take a second look at them. You know, they'll here's be able to come to our website. Teresa, here's a question I have. So you, sure. uh, you're doing you're scoring all these people with these R3 scores and then, you know, someone like Lad comes along and his R3 score is just like, you know, like 
205 or something. Can he, how does he work to improve his R3 score? Like, um, is there things he can do? Or is that, I'm just curious because it, yep. it's like a credit rating only. It's a, yep. Yep. It, it, we're, we have modeled a lot of, you know, what's out there around the credit rating. And so we will have all of the resources and tools to tell you things that you can do to improve your score. It's the same thing right now if you go pull your credit score and it's a 500 and 550 and you don't like it. You know, there are tools and instruments that can tell you if you do these things over time, your score will improve. And so um, it'll have some of that as well. But we are not trying to create a tool that will trick, you know, or give people techniques that will trick the system. You know, in right, order right. for this tool to be able to stand in the marketplace, you know, we have to hold public safety as our you know, first priority, but we believe that we can hold public safety and allow people to go through the process of improving their score and be fair and make sure that people who have done the work, that they will have access to second op- uh, second chances and, you know, new opportunities. So, you know, when this program, you know, gets fully developed and you guys are putting it out there, you're, you're not going to, you know, rely on, you know, grants or whatever forever. Are, oh, are no, you no, no, eventually no. going to either charge the formerly incarcerated person or the employer? Yeah. How, how's that going to work? Absolutely. We currently do charge um, employers and we, and we charge banks currently. And um, right now what we're trying to work out, um, my goal is to get the first 10,000 scores for individuals who have their arrest or conviction record for free. That's our goal. Right. And um, that will get 10,000 users out there using the score and being able to kind of, you know, provide testimony of how it's changed their lives. And after that, yes, it, it will move uh, to what we call that freemium model, right. where it'll be free in some form. And then there will be costs associated, you know, depending on how you want to use it and engage. Well, that's awesome, Tracy. You know, um, we're, we've reached the end of our time. I'd like well, to talk fast. to you for a whole nother hour. You're so interesting. And what you're doing is, uh, we feel here, is just over the top. Um, we want to thank you for being our guest today. And we also want to tell you how proud we are of what you've done, you know, for yourself and for others. We hope that you can continue doing it. If there is anything that you'd like to say, um, you know, plug-wise, you know, for anybody to get a hold of you, whatever, please let us know that. Okay, thank you. Well, first, thank you for inviting me. I'm uh, really appreciative of the work that you guys are doing and love how you have fun. Um, I'm glad to be with you on this Friday. Um, anyone who's looking for me, they can find me online. I'm easy to be found on everything on social media. I am Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, Y as in yes, Hodge, H-O-D-G-E, on Everywhere where I'm listed on social media, um, our company is R3Score. That's R, the number three, score.com. You can find us there, and we are excited about what we're doing. And if there is an employer or a banker that's interested and want to know more, um, please feel free to contact us. Um, at You can contact me directly at Teresa at R3Score.com. Um, there's a place where you can hit a contact button on our website, and we're really excited about the work we're doing. So are we. What was your middle initial? Say that one more time. What was your middle initial? He's, he's you trying are, to get I'm your... I'm looking you up on Facebook. Teresa J. Hodge? Teresa Y. Hodge. Oh, Y. Y. All right. 
This Super. is another, another wrap on Felony Inc. Pro- podcast. Uh, again, thank you, Teresa, for being with us today. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank our producer, Mark Grimes, his sidekick, Michael Coates, and our undernourished sound guy, all on. See you next week, everybody. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.